Hi, this is Herb Kressel, editor of Radiology, and welcome to the June 2010 edition of the Radiology Podcast. This month's podcast will include a discussion with uh, Dr. Stephen Golding, who has authored a provocative editorial on radiation exposure in computed tomography, what is the professionally responsible approach, and Dr. Sandrine Leroy, who with her colleagues uh, authored a study on the development of uh, ultrasound criteria for determining vesico-ureteral reflux in children uh, with uh, urinary tract infections. The idea uh, of this study, of course, is to have ultrasound as an alternate path to cystography uh, in these young patients. Uh, finally, we'll be speaking with uh, Dr. Vartan Vartanians, a uh, research uh, associate at, uh, in the Department of Radiology at Massachusetts General Hospital, who with his colleagues have reported on an innovative approach to increasing the appropriateness of outpatient uh, imaging uh, using an informatics-based uh, tool. We hope you will enjoy this month's podcast. And uh, before we begin, I do want to call your attention to another feature appearing in this uh, month's uh, radiology, the How I Do It review by uh, doctors Jeff Galvin, Aletta Ann Frazier, and Terry Franks, uh, who describe their uh, unique collaborative approach to radiologic and histopathologic assessment of fibrotic lung disease. And accompanying the How I Do It review is a very, very informative video cast, which I would encourage our readers to have a look at. Uh, we hope you enjoy this month's podcast, and as always, welcome your comments on the podcast and the journal. Hi, this is uh, Herb Kressel, uh, editor of Radiology, and I'm joined by Dr. Uh, Sandrine Leroy, who's a research fellow at the Center for Statistics and Medicine at the University of Oxford, and uh, Professor uh, Stephen Golding, professor and chair at the Oxford Radcliffe Hospital, uh, Oxford University. Uh, Dr. Golding has written a very provocative editorial in a June radiology entitled Radiation Exposure in CT, What is the Professionally Responsible Approach? And uh, conveniently, uh, Dr. Leroy and colleagues have uh, published a uh, really interesting uh, article uh, comparing the uh, diagnostic accuracy of renal ultrasonography criteria for vesico-ureteral reflux in children with urinary tract infection. And in sort of uh, looking at these papers, it seemed to me that uh, Dr. Leroy's paper is kind of an example of the type of thinking and hard work that Dr. Golding is recommending for all of us. So perhaps uh, welcome to both of you, by the way. Thank you. Yes, and uh, Dr. Golding, perhaps you could uh, begin by uh, describing this concept of radiation uh, effectiveness. Uh, you make the statement that we're used to, in the imaging sphere, thinking of the cost effectiveness of imaging, but raise the point that perhaps radiation effectiveness should be part of our thinking and evaluation. Could you tell us what you mean by that? 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I notice you describe this as provocative. It seems entirely reasonable to me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my concern centers largely around CT, but it extends to the rest of radiology. I'm concerned that we're using a lot of CT for a lot of basic conditions, a lot of benign conditions, a lot of young people. We know that the use of CT is rising. We know that the uh, the applications are extending. We know that there's an enormous variation in the, in the exposure that people give for the same application. All of those things ought to be of concern. Now, I don't know, I can't judge whether the, some of the people in protection are right that we are saving up uh, a whole generation of radiation-induced disease. The evidence on that seems to me to be too difficult to read. But one thing I think we can do is we can be careful. Uh, and I take myself back to the early days of the, the pioneers. If they'd been careful, we wouldn't have the, the radiology martyrs. So I think the professional view is care and caution. And I think there are a lot of things we can do with the dose that we're administering in our departments these days. And as you say, we are taught these days to think of cost-effectiveness of imaging. We don't lavish resources on imaging unnecessarily. I think we'll come to the concept that we don't lavish radiation on patients unnecessarily. And that will mean thinking in terms of, are we getting the right clinical effectiveness out of each dose that we give the patient? Thank you. Uh, Dr. Leroy, this uh, brings us to, to your manuscript, and what was sort of the thinking behind uh, this uh, investigation? Why did you actually do the study? Uh, in fact, the idea was quite simple. First, in pediatrics, uh, urinary tract infections are uh, a very common source of bacterial infections in children, and then most of the actual recommendations in Europe, but also in the United States, are uh, to perform systematically a cystography just after uh, UTI in order to diagnose basico-urotary reflux. Uh, but in fact, these recommendations have raised many concerns, especially in UK with NICE guidelines recently published. And in fact, uh, many pediatricians believe that uh, ultrasonography is a good predictor for uh, reflux. But when you look very carefully to the literature, you found first that there is many studies of that and many ways to compare, to, to have an idea of the diagnostic accuracy of ultrasonography uh, because many criteria can be used. So the idea was just to compare several criteria in one study to have a direct comparison, not a comparison between studies, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so the, I guess so, the, I, the idea, if I can uh, summarize, was that one would like to uh, identify a uh, more radiation effective, to use uh, Dr. Golding's term, approach to the evaluation of these patients, but when you went back and looked through the literature, there was so much variability in the technique that was used and in the results that were reported that you couldn't even tease out criteria if you wanted to use ultrasound. So what did you actually find and what did you do in your study? Uh, so we included uh, uh, more than 100 patients, and then we record uh, the reference standard, which is the, the cystography, and also uh, four ultrasonographic criteria, and then we directly compare them. And we found that it seems that the best one uh, is uh, ureteral dilation. Okay, so uh, ureteral dilatation was the single most helpful criteria ultrasonographically uh, in children, and what, what threshold would you use for dilatation? Uh, 
we did not define a precise threshold because, in fact, uh, when uh, there is no dilation, uh, you can't see uh, the ureter in the ultrasonography. So when you see it, it's it seems it's, it means that it's not normal. So it's a threshold, but not a numerical threshold. Okay. Well, in many ways, that makes it easier to apply. Now, uh, in looking at your That's paper, I noted that you reported using this a 73% sensitivity and about an 88% specificity uh, for the diagnosis of reflux. Uh, yeah. And the question is, is, is that sensitivity enough for a test that you're using for screening? That's a very good question. It's not, it's not a so bad sensitivity, but of course we would prefer 100 sensitivity. But in a screening procedure, uh, you can deal with a non-perfect sensitivity if it's a kind of first step examination. And then you can deal with the situation to decide or not uh, to, uh, to go for a cystography yeah. or to decide to wait for the second uh, UTI and then go for the cystography. So, of course, it's not a perfect procedure uh, that could completely replace the gold standard, which is the cystography, but it could uh, lead you to uh, a sort of intermediate strategy. Sure. Could I, could I comment on that? Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, this, this sort of study is precisely the sort of thing that I think we should be pursuing. I mean, we, we know we can't ignore childhood infection because some children are going to go on to renal damage. Uh, therefore, we have to investigate. The conventional investigation is cystography. Uh, but if I look at the figures from uh, Dr. Leroy's study, uh, broadly speaking, the prevalence of disease was one in four, uh, which means that three children in every four had a cystogram that they didn't need. And one of the ways you go about reducing the radiation exposure is to substitute. Uh, so the, the implication of this study is that if the ultrasound could be relied on exclusively, three out of four children would be spared cystography. And that's radiation protection. That's good radiation protection. As to the sensitivity, that doesn't worry me too much, providing we've got a sensitivity that is half decently acceptable. Mm -hmm. Because radio radiology has to operate in the real world. We rarely get 100% sensitivity out of anything. What we're called on, I believe, professionally, is to do our best. And if the, again, if the figures imply to me that out of those children who were positive, who had the problem, uh, three quarters could be ha uh, accurately diagnosed by ultrasound and the rest go on to cystography. Once again, that's another step in reducing the exposure of the, of the, of the child population. That's radiation protection in my book. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I thought the other part of this paper that I thought was interesting and that is, I think, a challenge is that imagers tend to think in the little box of the imaging world. But I, I think the point in this uh, manuscript was that you know, the second bout of a clinical occurrence could then trigger the more uh, radiation dose intensive study. And uh, I, I think I, it, I, it points up I the am, fact that we need to sorry. integrate sort of clinical context as we develop sort of ways of being smarter with our use of radiation exposure. I absolutely agree. We have to think in terms of what is effective clinically. Yeah, yeah. And, and Dr. Leroy, uh, with these promising results, do you know if this has affected the way patients are, are handled? This study was done at the Trousseau Hospital, I believe, in Paris. So has this resulted in any clinical policy changes? 
not a clear written uh, policy in the hospital, but I know that it changes the mind of the physician to prescribe uh, cystography after uh, renal ultrasonography. I'm sure of that. Uh, they're more cautious about that. But I just would like to say that uh, it's only one study, and uh, even if even if it's repetitive, this result should really be uh, validated by other studies mm. because it's 100 patients, which is not so small, but it's not a so big sample. Absolutely. And uh, so I'm quite cautious in the clinical implication of this results, and I'm yeah, I'm quite cautious, in fact. <laughs> well, Dr. Golding, I'd uh, like to toss it back to you since you've certainly been involved in organized efforts and organized radiology uh, internationally, what should radiologists do as a profession? Uh, how should we generate this information and how oh, should well, we, we validate it? The, I mean, we, we, uh, Dr. Leroy is, was absolutely right. We need more studies. If you look at the evidence base for dose limitation in radiology, it's actually not that strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we know in principle that we should use the lowest exposure to get the information that we need to manage the patient. That lowest exposure has not been established for very many applications. Uh, and of course, people are worried about limiting exposure because they, they, they are anxious about reducing the sensitivity of their study and missing mm -hmm. disease. That, that's understandable. So we need robust studies that tell us the reliability of operating at relatively low exposure. That, that's the first move. Uh, but I think, I mean, all radiologists, I think, there is sufficient concern about my concern area, that CT, that I think all radiologists should be vigilant about the exposure in their department. This issue of the tremendous variation there is mm -hmm. in the dose used for identical procedures across Europe and across America, that's been established in many studies now, that requires vigilance and that therefore means audit uh, of a department's practice and that audit means comparability with other departments and the best practice guidelines uh, so, I mean, there's, a lot, there's a lot we can do. Yeah. Now, your sense of uh, how this is being handled in Europe versus the USA? Could you compare and contrast? Well, very interesting. I mean, uh, traditionally, uh, in the USA, there's, there's been a, uh, an attitude, I think, that, that's been fairly prevalent that, on the whole, the dose from CT is not a problem, mm -hmm. that the, invest the investigation is clinically warranted and therefore we don't worry about the radiation. In Europe, uh, at the turn of the millennium, we had a new law introduced right the way across Europe that was uh, designed to limit the exposures being given in the department as, as a result of all the work that had been done on these surveys that showed this tremendous variation in exposure. Now, I think that was a good move. Uh, it meant that departments have to justify their, their, their operation, their practicalities, their, um, their guidelines for how they go about uh, administering radiation. In other words, we, mm -hmm. we start to think in terms of radiology being a prescription for radiation exposure. And I'm very interested in the fact that I gather the FDA has just picked this up right. and is moving in very much the same direction that the European Commission did uh, some 10 years ago. Now, is there any efforts, uh, the, the big gap to me seems, uh, and I think that uh, Dr. Leroy sort of pointed this up, is that hopefully we would like to have guidelines that are evidence-based and, and have behind them a substantial uh, database of well-constructed uh, studies, and yet these yeah. are 
far between. Are there efforts underway to enhance funding for this? In the U.S., my sense is that with our current funding mechanisms, this would be a very tough type of study to get funded. I think that's right, and that's a, that's a challenge we've got. Uh, my group was supported by the European Commission by successive research grants to work on uh, dose limitation in mm -hmm. CT until the last round, which was now three years ago, uh, when that program w was actually absorbed into another program, making it much more difficult to raise any money for uh, radiation protection in diagnostic radiology. Now, that, that, that's a big challenge. I mean, I, I think we've got um, some work to do exercising pressure on, on governments and the health agencies there. Yeah, it, it seems that way to me. Uh, Dr. Leroy, I saw that this study was sort of a sub-study of a larger prospective study uh, that your group was involved in. Uh, was it funded? Uh, not yet, no. Okay. <laughs> so that's the problem that we all have. Uh, you know, uh, in the U.S., we always talk about unfunded mandates, where yeah. we get mandates for change that should imply some study to understand what the change is, but there's never funding for, for the study to help us change more wisely. So I guess uh, the last question I have for you, uh, Dr. Golding, is sort of uh, what do you think radiologists listening to this podcast should be doing to use radiation exposure more responsibly? Oh, the, the thing I would want is everyone to ask themselves, what is happening in my department? Because on the whole, we've tended to forget that there are, I think we have tended to forget that there are exposure issues. Take us back to the days of film radiography. We knew when we'd overexposed a patient, sure. the film went black. These days, the scanners will absorb the additional mm -hmm. dose that you pour into the patient. You don't see that. So it's no longer there in the front of the radiologist's consciousness. Now, I, I would ask every radiologist to go back and, or, or to ask themselves, do I really know what exposures are being used in my department? Because we should, right. no question. That's certainly step one. And then I think uh, hopefully radiology organizations such as the RSNA and the American College and the European uh, Society perhaps can uh, begin to come up with guidelines for feasible substitution strategies such as Absolutely. the one that Dr. Leroy has reported. Well, Absolutely. I want to thank you both for your participation. I think uh, these concepts are very, very important and I'd uh, Thank you, Dr. Leroy, for uh, pioneering, if you will, in this uh, effort. Uh, we really appreciate uh, your participation in today's uh, podcast. Thank you both very much. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. This afternoon, we're joined by uh, Dr. Vartan Vartanians, who is a clinical research associate in the uh, informatics uh, division of the Department of Radiology of Massachusetts General Hospital in, in Boston. And Dr. Vartanian and his colleagues at Massachusetts General have authored a very uh, innovative uh, and illustrative uh, manuscript entitled Increasing the Appropriateness of Outpatient Imaging, Effects of a Barrier to Ordering Low-Utility Examinations. Uh, welcome, Dr. Vartanian. Uh, good afternoon. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. Uh, can you tell us what you did in your study? Uh, yeah, sure. 
Uh, as you know, the management and the uh, utilization of this diagnostic imaging service is of increasing importance, especially regarding cost and uh, radia uh, radiation safety. Our study demonstrates the utility of the neuro, uh, which discouraged uh, ordering of low-yield diagnostic examinations. So we actually uh, conducted a study to determine the effect of a, a computerized uh, radiology order entry, uh, which we call it ROI system, uh, which prevented non-clinician support staff from completing orders for outpatient CT, MRI, and nuclear medicine studies that received initially low-yield uh, decision support scores in our system. So actually, before our change, uh, before what we did in uh, April 2007, clinician and non-clinician, both of them could uh, proceed and order a loyal exam in our system. But after April 2007, we put a hard stop for non-clinician users to order loyal exams. So. Actually, after the hard stop, we call this hard stop or red intervention, actually any non-clinician attempting to finalize an order uh, for a study with a low yield decision support score uh, was presented with a, uh, the new screen uh, shot stating that the session uh, was locked. So in this case, non-clinician users can't proceed to order the exam. So the only choice is that the uh, relative physician should log in and change the uh, indications or uh, order a new exam. So could the clinician uh, log in and order the same exam with the same indications, just saying he really wants it? If it's physician, uh, it's possible okay. because we uh, let them uh, do that. But if it's a non-physician, uh, they, they can't uh, order even uh, the same exam for the same body part uh, with a new new section, with a new actually order. Okay. Now, how is this decision support tool different from the ACR appropriateness criteria? Uh, we used uh, ACR, ACR criteria for our decision support scoring, but I can't say that it's a 100% match because a radiology order entry is based on the uh, signs and symptoms and non-diagnosis. And uh, it's a, uh, a little bit different from ACR, what, what ACR offers. So we, we use the ACR criteria and in addition of ACR criteria, we uh, use our specialist uh, panel like uh, radiologists and other specialists to uh, come up with a, with, a score, with a score. Okay, so you have sort of like expert panels that are institutionally based that uh, uh, look at the appropriateness? Correct. Okay. And then, so uh, I guess in your study, you compared the period of time before you implemented this new system uh, to after the system, and, and what were the results that you found? Did it work? Did it reduce the uh, utilization for these low-yield exams? We compare uh, two groups, con control groups and study groups, 
before the uh, changes and after the changes. What we got was that we had a 74% of exams were ordered by non-clinicians and 26% were ordered by clinicians before our change, before the heart stop. Now is this ordered for all studies or just for the low yield studies? This is for the, all the studies okay. uh, for outpatient with decision support. Okay. After heart stop, this uh, numbers uh, uh, these numbers increased for the increased for the clinicians to fifty four percent percent from twenty six percent to fifty four percent. So we had a actually increase of twenty eight percentage points. Okay. So physicians were more directly involved in the order entry process. Correct. Okay. It shows that the uh, proportion of total examination requested initially by clinicians directed lagging almost doubled. In addition, uh, following hard stuff, we had a much smaller fraction of loyal orders, which actually they uh, be scheduled and performed. Prior to hard stuff, we had a 5.43%, and after that, this number decreased to 1.92%. So it's over a 3% decrease in the amount of low-yield exams ordered. Correct. Were the physicians, how did they receive this? Were they happy to do this extra work, or were there complaints? Uh, and if you complain about the um, much work and uh, clerical burden uh, on physicians, but there was just a few complaints, and when uh, we explained them that uh, it just this is just to be, uh, need to be ordered, and the completion shouldn't be done by the physician. Mm -hmm. So uh, if they just order the exam. The uh, scheduling of the exam uh, can be done by the uh, non-clinicians, by the support staff. I see. So now everyone is used to the system, I gather it's working well? Oh yes. Uh, currently more than 95% of the exams ordered by uh, radiology or entry system, ROI system. Good. Now, um, I was just sort of curious, uh, physicians uh, uh, tend to be very clever in gaming the system. I've always noticed that if they figure out what it takes to get a request approved, they'll use the appropriate language if possible. Do you think there was any physician gaming uh, that happened during your study period? To be honest, the effect and the, the magnitude of the physician gaming of the system uh, is not uh, very clear. And although it would be naive to think that it does not occur, but one should not assume that any effort to modify or, uh, let's say, supplement information after an uh, initial red score uh, should be uh, evidence of gaming. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in maybe it's just insufficient information or ignorance about what is uh, required, actually. I see. So our, we did a chart uh, review for a 33 uh, locked exams. Uh, th these are the exams which ordered by non-clinician and locked by, uh, and, and the exams get locked and non-clinicians, uh, they change it, they, they increase the score from non-appropriate to appropriate and they order the exam. Mm -hmm. uh, and we found that uh, 29 out of 33 cases, 
we had a medical record uh, substantiated the additional information. So the issue. So the issue was that they just hadn't provided enough information to justify the original order. Very interesting. Well, Dr. Vartanian, I want to thank you uh, so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. Uh, We appreciated your study and the opportunity to chat with you about it. Uh, Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you for having me.